What's up? <laughs> My name is Celine Morris, and I'm a Covenant member, and I'm excited to announce that I'm a part of the church plant, Austin Bridge. I'll be reading Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. How y'all doing? Oh, I heard, I heard Jenna. How y'all doing? <laughs> man, um, man, God is good. Gosh, man, can't believe it's, it's been over two years uh, that I get the honor to, to worship with y'all, to learn from y'all, to be sent out by y'all. Man, God is good. God is good. Hmm. Y'all doing all right? Um, I'm back. <laughs> That's my trademark. I don't know if y'all know. Uh, <laughs> uh, for those of you that do not know me, uh, my name is uh, Chuan Kim. I am the church planting resident here at the well. And in irony, um, I can only say that for two more weeks, um, as uh, Celine officially uh, told us, or told y'all, uh, the name of our church plant, because we are planting Austin Bridge in uh, the domain area. Uh, man, what an exciting, exciting time. So we get to celebrate that on November 7th. 7th. Uh, but I just want to, like, begin to share something really, really important. It's like, man, the heart of generosity and your heart to give is, is what pushes back darkness. And because of that, because of your heart to give, that our family and our church, that we get to plant a church in the domain. That we get to be a church in the domain because of the sacrifice of your giving. And here's the thing. It's not too late to join us. So if you guys, guys want to come and join us, you know how to do it, Huli. You know how to do it. If y'all want to come and join us, it's not too late. Uh, please holler at your boy. Korean barbecue guaranteed. <laughs> oh, man, I'm, I'm loving this series. I'm loving this series on generous worship. Uh, that we applied the greatest commandment in the aspect of being a disciple of God in the way that we give. And if you haven't um, listened to this sermon series, I strongly recommend that you go back and you listen to it as Huli shared, um, and you begin to challenge your heart on what it means to give generously. Because in a nutshell, here is a, a graphic that explains uh, what it means to give. What it means here at the well that we're trying to begin to disciple our people in understanding and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. 
that we would practically look like what it means to love our God with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and with all of our heart in generous worship. And now we're making a shift in our series to talk about how do we become followers of Jesus because this tool that's up here is not just something in our giving, but it's a way of life. Don't miss that. It's a way of life. And today we're talking about how do we begin to actively engage our whole being in the way that we worship God. Because this is the wealth mission statement under discipleship, that this is the distinctive in equipping the saints under discipleship. It says this, pursuing all Jesus commanded with all of ourselves, being a Christian is a call to growing deeper in the love of God, And growing into the fullness of Christ, we see this as a process of what? Discipleship. The intentional pursuit of becoming or helping others become more like Jesus. Within this pursuit, we care not just about the what of discipleship found overarchingly in the Great Commission, but also the what? How of discipleship founding overarching in the Great Commandment. As Christians pursue and following the commandment of Christ, what, with all themselves, how, we believe each person will learn how Christ has made them and become equipped in their unique identities, giftings, and callings to further the kingdom of God on earth. I think that was really well written, T. And that is our aim today, because we're going to be looking at how to become a disciple of Jesus. And as we read in Matthew 22, how do we love the Lord your God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength? Because what is happening in our passage is this. Jesus enters into Jerusalem, and there's all these people that are gathered around him, and he's teaching all these parables about who he is. And this religious leader comes up to him. He's a lawyer or a scribe, someone who understood what it meant to religiously follow God. And he comes up, and he's probably written the law, transcribed the law, taught the law, lived by the law, did all these things. And he comes to Jesus and asks, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? Or in other words, Jesus, how do we become a follower or disciple? What can I do to obey the law, become a better follower of God? Which of the 613 laws, that's how many laws are in the Old Testament, is the greatest? And Jesus answers this question. Understanding and knowing where the heart of this person is. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And Mark, in his gospel, adds, with all of your strength. This is the first and great commandment. And what is Jesus doing here? He's answering the heart of the issue of this lawyer. See, for this lawyer, he wants a moralistic way on a following Jesus. He wants a way, and Jesus is saying, to follow me, the greatest commandment is what? To love your God with your whole entire being. And here's the thing, right? Jesus is not quoting something that's different. 
He's not quoting something that's new. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6, something this religious leader had to uh, recite twice a day. In the morning and the evening, he had to quote this, that we shall love the Lord your God with all of our strength, with all of our mind, with all of our heart, and with all of our soul. But Jesus is also addressing something that's really profound. Because at the time, the Jewish people understood this commandment, but they never could grasp on how to follow this commandment. Why? Up until this point. Because here, Jesus is asking the scribe to love the Lord your God, not with just obedience to the law, but he's saying now the fulfillment of what it means that love has come. Because up to this point, Jesus was teaching parables, showing that the Son of God has come, and he challenges the Pharisee to begin to examine this word love. Man, Yusuf, last week, he killed it. He preached last week um, that before we get to the how of discipleship, and if you guys, uh, we have the men's and women's retreat, we're preaching on the same, <laughs> the same sermon. Uh, we, worked on, we worked together on that, right? But he... Yusuf says, before we understand the how of discipleship, he's saying that we need to understand the heart of discipleship by challenging the word love, right? There needs to be a redefinition of the word love. How do we define what it means to love? Man, I use the word love all the time, right? I say that I love food. And man, when your man says I love food, I don't just, I can't talk. I don't, I love all food, all kinds of food. I love Asian food. I love American food. I love all kinds of food. I love, I love Mexican food. I love all kinds of food. And man, I say it all the time. And man, I love food so much that like when I get to eat, it brings me so much joy. And the first thing that I say is like, gosh, man, I really, really, really love this meal. I also love the Denver Nuggets. Don't hate. Why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? I love it when my man Jokic, if you don't know who he is, look him up, right? He don't look like he's functional, but he's the best center in the NBA. I don't care what you say. We can debate this. He's the MVP, reigning MVP. And I love it when my Nuggets, it's a basketball team for those of you that don't know, when they win. I love it. It brings me joy. And I love, I love, I love, and you all know this, I love Jordans. Right? There's something about Jordans and getting a new box of Jordans that I love opening the box. And I don't know what it is, but the first thing that any shoe head wants and knows about shoes is that when they open it, the first thing they do is they, they take it right up to their nose and they take a big whiff and they smell their shoes. And all of it is, it's just plastic and leather and glue and chemicals. But that deep breath is like, gosh, man, I love these shoes. And I love it when I lace them up and I crease them for the first time. Oh, man, that's a carnal sin for a lot of us. But I'm creasing my shoes. Why? Because shoes are meant to be worn. I love Jordans. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. If I love, if I love food and I love the Denver Nuggets, and I love Jordans the way that I love my wife, Christine. I'm in trouble. <laughs> I'm going to go and smell her. What are you, really? Why? Why? Because every single thing that I say I love, I say that I love it because of the way that it makes me feel. 
the way that it makes me feel. But Jesus here is defining love not by what we receive, but actually what, how we should give. Or more, how he gives. The definition of love that Jesus is saying is an unconditional love, and he uses agape. It's not this motion and feeling and all these things. Yes, that's part of it, but it's much more than that. And the how of discipleship begins with our definition and redefining the word love. And as we begin, uh, begins to happen that we experience the cross, now do we understand what it means to give Jesus with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. Jesus' call to follow him is our whole being. But the fact of the matter is this. Man, isn't this so hard to do? Isn't this so hard to do? It's a constant battle that wages war on our hearts to love the Lord your God with all of our being. Because the fact of the matter is there are times where I want to love God my own way and my own standards. And there are times that I begin to open up my Bible and my mind is engaged in the understanding of who Jesus is. There are times when my heart is engaged and emotions begin to flare up and I begin to slowly raise my hand in worship. I'm just kidding. I, if you see me, I always go pretty hard when I worship. Because there's overwhelming joy to worship the Lord. There are times where our soul is engaged and we want to follow him. There are times where our strength is engaged and we want to be obedient to God. But also, there's also times where I read scripture and pray the same prayer and my mind is disengaged. Because I don't know what I'm talking about. In fact, my son Isaiah, he prays the same prayer. Why? Because I pray the same prayer. I don't even know if his mind is Sometimes it is. But there are other times where my heart is weary and my emotions are frustrated with God and I just don't have the heart to worship him. And there are times where no longer do I want to follow God, but I want to follow my selfish ambitions. There are times that I want to be, that where I don't want to be obedient and I want to be wildened. So how do we begin to love God with our whole being? Because that's what Jesus is commanding us to do. And what better way to challenge ourselves to understand how it means to love God by the work of Jesus through one of his disciples, Peter. Because here's this thing. The scribe understood in concept what it meant to follow God, but he completely missed the point on how to love God. We can understand the practicality on how it means to follow God, but if we don't understand what it means to love God, we miss the point. And we see this in our passage, I mean, a different passage in Matthew 16. And if you have your Bibles, you can flip to Matthew 16 because we're going to be here for a little bit. In Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20, we see Jesus ask a question to his disciples. He asks his disciples and he says, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Look at what's happening here. Jesus starts off asking his disciples an intellectual question. He's asking them in his intellect, saying, who do people say that I, the son of God is? 
He's asking a question, making the disciples engage their minds by asking, who is Jesus? And if you really think about it, none of the prophets or even Moses has ever asked this question. They never asked the question, hey, who do you, who do you think I am? They never, Moses never like, you know, did all the plagues and, and they crossed the Red Sea and say, who, who Israelites, who, who am I? He doesn't do that. Every single time the, the prophets and all these people did, did, did these signs and wonders, what did they do? They always pointed it back to God. It's never about who they are, but it's always about who God is. And here's Jesus with this question challenging his disciples to make a decision and saying, don't you realize that the God who is holy and above all has come in a person the Christ, the Messiah, that I have arrived. And he asks the intellectual question, who am I to you? Not just an abstract person, but a personal question. That it doesn't matter what the world thinks of who I am, but who do you say that I am? That this is the very question we need to ask ourselves. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Is he king of your life? Or is he just a great prophet? And Peter answers with boldness, because my man is bold, and he says, you are Christ, the son of the living God. He is saying you are the king, the son of God. But it goes on. Right after that in verse 21, we see something else. It says this. From the time that Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. What? Anyways. Another day. And he says, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Think about what's happening here. Jesus is saying what the Son of God is going to do. He's sharing the mission of what he came to do, that the Son of God would die and the third day be raised again. He is showing that I am utterly going to be defeated to triumph. And the king is saying this is how the kingdom of God is going to come through me, through weakness, through difficulty and death. And to Peter, this would be the most outrageous statement. The Peter who just engaged his mind in, preface, in professing that Jesus is the son of God could not fathom what it meant for the son of God to die. And it begins to stir up his heart. The emotions and the emotions began to stir up his heart. And he goes, Jesus, there's no way you will die on my watch. And Jesus begins to give Peter one of the hardest rebukes. Man, if someone said that to me, I don't know what I would do. I think I would cry. Thanks, Huli. I think Huli has said that to me, and I was like... But now before we get on Peter, we have to give him some sympathy here, right? Because he's loving Jesus. But Peter, who knows who Jesus is, which he just confessed, didn't understand the mission of Jesus. Peter, to this point, knew Jesus, but didn't know and believe in the work of Jesus. And after that, Jesus rebukes him. And he, but think about what's happening. Right after that, what begins to happen? 
Jesus gives this word in verse 24. And then again, we see Jesus who tells his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life and lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits what his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So what begins to happen? He says, if I am king and you understand the mission, what does he say? Now follow me. Jesus is asking his disciples on what it means to love by giving their being. He's saying this is how you find your true self. The very identity that you always want to search for, don't you realize that nothing else in this life will satisfy you except me. That you die to self. That as you die to self, you begin to realize that which is life. And think here for a second. What Jesus is asking of the disciples is is profound and crazy. To follow Jesus means to take up the cross. They didn't understand yet that it was Jesus that was going to die on the cross. But what is he saying? Your whole being is always in search of your identity. And Jesus commands here to follow me. You have to deny yourself And this probably stirred up their hearts, their emotions, and their beings in a wrong way. Then after that, we're going to go on. A lot of, a lot of, I just really wanted to read scripture today. What does it say? In 7 verse 1, it says this. And after six days, I mean, uh, 17 verse 1, it says this. And after six days, Jesus took him, Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking to them. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here with you. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And the voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touching them, saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. So what's happening? Jesus is saying, I'm king. You know my mission. You know what it means to follow. And now what does he say? Act in obedience. So Peter is acting in strength. He is acting out of obedience. Here Jesus appeared before him in his glory. And we see Moses who represents the the law. And Elijah who represents the prophets. And Peter here experiences the glory of Jesus right before him. And he wants to seize this moment by building tents that he can dwell with it. In our translation, it says tents, but the more proper term here is tabernacle. Peter wanted to tabernacle with Jesus. And in the middle of his sentence, we see God who speaks, the disciples fall, and Jesus lift up their eyes. Peter, walking in action, wants to seize this moment and capture the glory that he is seeing, not realizing it's Jesus who cannot tabernacle here with them. I'm going to bring this all together. Here's the thing. In all of these instances, we see Peter, who acts with his mind, acts with his heart, is called 
is called with his soul and acts in his strength. And each of these moments, Peter, who loves Jesus, just misses the reality of who Jesus is and what he came to do. Just like the Pharisee who asked Jesus, what is the great commandment? Because in his mind, Jesus is a great teacher, but he isn't the Messiah what that came to suffer. Jesus here is showing what is to come. He is showing that how do we love the Lord your God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, by showing the Son of God has arrived and the King is here. But here's the thing. To the Jewish people, they thought that the Messiah would come, go to Jerusalem, overtake the kingdom, overtake injustice, and sit on his throne. And Jesus is saying, yes, I have come, I have arrived to defeat evil, to bring my kingdom, overtake injustice, but not sit on a throne, but I'm going to the cross to die. The Israelites always knew that the Messiah would come and that there would be a day, but they never understood that this Messiah would suffer. Never did they think that it's Jesus the Messiah would suffer. The Messiah that is prophesied from the law and the prophets is here. And the king who they have always anticipated to come demonstrates his love. Jesus shows love by what? By what? By what? But the Son of God, who is all things, and all things were created for him, he empties himself by becoming a man, and becoming a man lives a life that we should live in obedience to become what the very sacrifice for our sins by paying the penalty of sin, death on the cross. And in his death, because of the penalty that is paid in full, on the third day he resurrects. That if we believe and put our faith in the work of Jesus in our lives, that we as his children are declared Righteous. Amen. We receive salvation through the love that Jesus has for us. Love is defined by Jesus Christ who empties himself to die. That we now know what it means to be loved. And if we begin to understand the magnitude of the love that we receive through Christ, that we are able to experience the love by giving up ourselves and being in the grace of the Lord. We experience love and because of that we are now able to love others. That we now know what it means to love. Now think about this. Look at the life of Peter. Right? He knows this truth. He acts in this truth. He's bold in the way that he follows Jesus. But he just misses him. He couldn't dare think that Jesus he followed would be humiliated on the cross. That Peter in the time where Jesus needed him publicly, what did he do? He denied him three times. In the very way that Jesus needed him, Peter begins to deny him because of the shame that he begins to see that the Messiah is beginning to feel. That even though Jesus told them that was going to happen, Peter didn't see that Jesus would rise on the, uh, from the dead on the third day and he would go find Peter. And what would he do? He would ask him three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And it's in this very engagement 
that Peter begins to realize that even in his sin, that Jesus pursued him. That the Messiah had to suffer for all of sin. He begins to see Jesus for the first time. And his life will never be the same. Because look at the promise. Look at the promises, right? Look at the promises. It's through that love that we now begin to understand the how to be a follower of Jesus. That the more we engage our minds, engage our hearts, engage our souls, and engage our strength, what do we begin to experience? We get to experience Jesus. The reality of what we'll we'll experience in heaven for all eternity to be in that love is what we experience here on earth in Christ. Because in the intellect that God is shown to you as a gift, look at the promises that Jesus gives Peter. says that the gates of hell won't prevail against his church. Man, when I imagine this, I imagine like like the gates of hell and, you know, on, on, on one hell avenue there's a church. And all these demons are trying to attack this church, but they can't penetrate. That's what I imagined. And then while I was doing exegesis for this passage, I was like, man, I don't think that's quite what Jesus is saying. What is he saying here? He says the gates of hell, defense, cannot prevail against the church. Meaning that we now as a church are on the offensive. We are the ones that are storming hell. We are the ones that are storming darkness. We are the ones that are storming sin. We as a church and community get to experience the victory. We get the power to know that death will never have the final say to push back darkness. That in giving up our hearts, we experience the mission of God, that Jesus came to die and resurrect. It's one thing to realize he was coming to pay the price to give healing to the world, but it's totally different realization that we see that the mission of Jesus was to pay the price for our forgiveness. To pay the price of death. Pay the price of our sins. That the floodgates of God's love can be washed over us. It's one thing for us to join Jesus on the cause of what he gave his life to do. Another thing when we realize that it's our forgiveness that Jesus is willing to die for. That we're able to worship God freely, being his children. That because of the mission of Jesus, he has fulfilled the penalty in full. Look at the promises. That as we give up our souls and lives to the one who is worthy, he is the one that gives us worth. He is the one that gives us an identity. That because of the price that Jesus paid, that the more we die to self, the more we find ourselves. That it's Jesus who is a perfect example by dying that we now have the freedom to die to live. And it's now in our strength and life of obedience that we begin to realize because of our sins that we are atoned for. That we now live seeing the glory of Jesus in his resurrection. And now we begin to live in knowing that the penalty of sin is paid for. That we now live in eternity in the presence and the glory of Jesus. That he will tabernacle with us now and forevermore. Because death has lost its sting. Look at the promises. Look at the promises. 
How do we become disciples of Jesus? By living in his love, that the more we love him with our heart, the more we love him with our mind, the, love, the more that we love him with our soul, and the more that we love him with our strength, the more we begin to engage, the more we begin to feel the mystery of the love that is found in Jesus. Do you see that? That the more we give to Jesus, the more we get him. The more that we begin to see these things, that we get more of him. What does that mean? That means when, that when we read scripture and we engage our minds and our souls and our strength and all these things, what do we do? We get to experience Jesus. That when we evangelize and go out and share the gospel, we're not doing that just out of obedience. We're doing that as our whole being, as we share the gospel. What do we get to experience? Jesus. That the more that we begin to give, the more that we begin to be found in the mystery of Jesus. That for all eternity, isn't that what we're going to enjoy? But the promise is that we get that now. He is the only one that is worthy of all of our minds, worthy of all of our hearts, worthy of all of our souls, worthy of all of our strength. Let us love, let us love the Lord our God with all of our soul, with all of our heart, with all of our strength, with all of our mind, knowing, knowing that it's Jesus who emptied himself that we're able to experience and that love is redefined. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you. We thank you for the promise and the joy of what it means to be your children. Father, I pray, I pray, oh Lord, that we would begin to wrestle with these thoughts and these ideals, oh Lord, of what it means to be loved. What it means to be loved. That you would begin to challenge, oh Lord, in in redefining the word love in our hearts. That we would begin to ask the question, who is it that loves us? And through that, oh Lord, that we would begin to experience the tabernacle of Jesus in our hearts, in our souls, in our lives. That says that your son would love us so much that he would go to the cross to die for us. Father, I pray. I pray that that reality is what we would know. I pray that that is the joy that's in our hearts. Father, I pray that we would engage our minds in knowing the promise of what you came to do. And in that, oh Lord, Father, I pray that we would be the church that would push back darkness. We thank you. We love you. We pray all this in your son's name.